Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report, a part of Progressive News Network with me, Janine Moloff. I'm your producer and host. Today we have, I think, a very special guest. Uh, her name is Stacy Lee Sherwood, and she's going to join us in about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, she is a fierce animal rights activist. Her blog and podcast titled Reality Checks can be found online. She advocates for the planet and the animal kingdom uh, that are both being ravaged by constantly escalating corporate and industrial abuse. She is widely published in a variety of publications, including but not limited to e-magazine, Discover Science 2020, Palm Oil Detectives, and many more. And today she's going to discuss her very important work and what we can do hopefully to help. Uh, advocate, poet, photographer, we welcome Stacy Lee Sherwood to the Environmental Justice Report in just a short while. I'm also going to discuss the state of school censorship in the USA. This is going to be, I think, a new feature that's going to be on both shows. Uh, as a former lifelong educator, I feel called to do this. Uh, conservatives are pushing to do, in my opinion, they, they're pushing to criminalize speech, any speech that they dislike. And you have the idiocy of the MAGA morons and the GOP, along with some cowardly uh, Democrats, pushing further still. Uh, so we're talking about the school censorship thing. And then we have the lunacy of the GOP with their recent anti-socialism resolution in the United States House of Representatives. Now, that particular resolution was, in my opinion, a total waste of taxpayer money and time. And when you waste time, it does cost money. Ironically, 109 congressional Democrats voted with the Republicans on this one. So I guess my question is, where is there socialism here in the United States? I, I'd like to know because I don't see it. Now, there are some that would say that people on the left, progressives are socialists. I'm going to put a screeching halt to that. Some are. I'm not necessarily. Uh, to keep myself afloat, I have my own online tutoring business. Ergo, I am a, an entrepreneur, a small business person. You can't be a small business person and be a socialist at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Um, but again, this has become the new boogeyman. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching a rerun of that old Spencer Tracy movie, Inherit the Wind. And it's based on this play that uh, dealt with the Scopes Monkey Trial, where there was this law in, I think it was, was it Tennessee or Mississippi, I forget, that turn of the century forbade the teaching of evolution. Now, you'd think that this would be done, but it's not. And... Uh, basically, it's based on a true story. The play is actually the school teacher broke that state law and taught evolution, and he was arrested and put on trial. And, you know, once again, whether it's Inherit the Wind and the Ghost Monkey Trial, whether it's the Crucible with their witch hunts, now we have, an, or if it's Joe McCarthy in the 50s with the Red Scare, com, Red Commie. Uh, witch hunt. Now we have the socialism witch hunt and the critical race theory witch hunt and, you know, all these other things because, you know, it's Chank Uger 
said on his program, The Young Turks, it is the political equivalent of when you want to distract your dog, you say, squirrel! The dog runs towards something that doesn't exist. So the dog doesn't notice what's happening elsewhere. So we're going to be talking about that asinine resolution. Um, and But it's not just asinine. That resolution has implications. And while Democrats were determined, corporate Democrats it is, were determined not to walk into that Republican trap being accused of being a socialist, um, they did walk into another trap whereby they couldn't get the Republicans to state that programs such as Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and even public education are not socialism. The Republicans refused to put that into the resolution. So when you sign on to this anti-socialism bill, you're actually starting to legitimize future claims by the GOP that these programs that we pay for with our tax dollars are somehow socialistic. All right? And what's even scarier about that, we'll get into a little bit, is they almost made it sound like just just giving any sort of credence to considering socialism as a political philosophy might be considered a crime. They haven't gone that far yet, but that's kind of what we're dealing with now. So that's what's going to happen today. We're waiting on uh, Stacey Lynn Sherwood. I can't talk today. We're waiting on Stacey Lee Sherwood to call in. Um, and I, I think I, I just sent her an email. I said about uh, in about 15 minutes, so the quarter – of the hour. So we're going through some changes here at uh, Progressive News Network. All right. Um, and as I said before, I'm going to probably incorporate an education component because public education is the cornerstone of everything. All right. Uh, there is a reason why when dictators take over, whether it be Stalin, whether it be Hitler, whether it be, you know, someone like DeSantis or Trump, one of the first things they want to do is they want to go after real teachers that teach the truth. They go after professors. They go after anyone who challenges the conservative status quo. You know, it, it amazes me. And we're, I'm just chatting right now because we're waiting for Stacey Lee. It amazes me, you know, when I talk to conservatives, you know, the word conserve is baked right into that uh, that label, you know, and pro- progress is built right into the label progressive. If you ask a progressive, well, what progress do you hope to achieve? Quite a few of us can say, well, you know, we want health care for everybody like they have in every other industrialized society because health care is a human right. Um we want a living wage for everyone. If you work full time, you should be able to afford a, a small, ho- a reasonable home and food, and, and you know, a basic standard of life, and not be going without. Uh, you know, as progressives, we want progress towards respect for all groups of people. That includes conservatives. They want to say ignorant things. They can, but we can rebut it. Um, we believe in true civil rights. We believe that we want progress towards the idea that the Bill of Rights applies to everyone, whether they're a citizen or not. All right? We can tell you what we stand for, what progress we want to make in that term progressive. But each and every time, I have not come across a single conservative that can answer this question. When I ask them, okay, as a conservative, what is it you hope to conserve? 
And aside from hemming and hawing, it seems like the only thing they can come up with is that they want to conserve the old status quo of white Christian patriarchal society, where basically white Christian men dominate, especially wealthy men, and that there is this pyramid and the rest of us mutts are on the bottom somewhere. And that's what they have. Now, keep in mind, if you want to be a conservative, be a conservative. I don't really care. But you don't have a right to force your way on others. And that's the problem I have with the conservative movement, especially when you inject uh, religious conservatives into the mix. Because as I've said before, let's be honest here. Religion is not a democracy. Any religion, including my own, it is a dictatorship. You know, God is the boss, and we just, you know, trickle down from there. And personal belief is one thing. I don't think religion should be mixing into secular government. No. I think there's enough in terms of ethics that we can make this work. So that's kind of what we have right now. Um, I can tell you – excuse me <laughs> – Okay, folks, I'm going to have to get a drink real fast. I'm going to put some music on. Let's welcome Janine Moloff with this week's Justice Report. This week, uh, we've got how policing in the U.S. was... I'm sorry, folks. I did not have my glasses on, and I meant to click on something else, and I goofed. Oh, this is a live show. Need I say more? Okay, and without my glasses, I'm as blind as a bat. Yeah, that was an old show. We need to clear out some of this. So... We should be hearing from Stacy Lee in a few minutes. In the meanwhile, I'm going to give you a little glimpse into what we're going to be talking about later in the show. So we've all heard about, especially in Florida, where this show originated. We've all heard about the Don't Say Gay law that DeSantis pushed. And we know about the anti-CRT push. Now, We've talked about this on the show before, and a lot of other places don't mention it. These anti-critical race theory bills, these anti-gay transgender bills that have been hitting our schools and throughout every state of the union, the legislators at the state level taking credit for these bills aren't necessarily the ones that wrote that legislation. These, In many instances, most of these really egregious violations of our civil rights are, they come from templates prepared by a group called ALEC, which is the American Legislative Exchange Council. Now, we've talked about ALEC a lot on this show before. Uh, ALEC has basically been spearheaded quite a bit. Uh, their top people include uh, 
top partners from the law firm of Shook, Hardy, and Bacon. Uh, this is a group that has been receiving, you know, the well wishes and largesse from people like Charles Koch. Uh, you know, once again, this is about controlling our state legislatures. All right. And in when people think, well, it's not that important, it is. All right. Um, and the anti-CRT bills, in a way, they they kind of concern me more because it's it's saying that teachers don't have any civil rights once they cross that that uh, threshold to their classroom. Um, it goes beyond CRT. What they're calling CRT or critical race theory is actually telling the truth about our history, period. Um, in many of these anti-CRT laws, you see that the, there's a, usually a clause saying that you can't discuss anything that says that racism or misogyny or religious bigotry or whatever is somehow systemic. Well, when you apply that, for instance, to the concept of race, it's, it's lunacy. Uh, of course, racism is systemic to our system. Uh, you know, up until the time the 13th Amendment was passed, slavery was the law of the land in many states, and that's codified in law. That is the dictionary definition of systemic. Furthermore, after the 13th Amendment and the rise of Jim Crow laws, which clearly uh, were difficult for black Americans, again, Every state that had a Jim Crow law meant that these type of injustices, race-based discrimination, was, yes, codified in law, meaning that, yes, it's systemic. So if you can't teach that, then guess what? You're basically saying you can't teach the truth. That's what we're dealing with here. And it's gone further than that. There is a, um, oh gosh, a school district in, I think it's Pennsylvania, Bucks County, I think it's the school district here. Let me, yep, Bucks County School. And this school district is already under investigation by the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights following an ACLU complaint. But now, earlier this past month, their school board voted 6-3 to three to, quote, pass a contentious policy that bans teachers from engaging in advocacy activities and displaying inclusive symbols like pride flags in their classrooms, end quote. So this basically meant not just, not just pride flags, but the principal of one of their high schools ordered their librarian to take down uh, a quote from a, what they said, Holocaust survivor. It was actually a very famous quote from Ellie Wiesel, who was received the 1986 um, Nobel Peace Prize. And yes, was a Holocaust survivor at the tender age, I believe, 14, he survived Auschwitz. And the quote that they found to be advocacy dealt with the idea that you really can't be neutral, that neutrality aids the oppressor, not um, the... And, and hurts the oppressed. So give me a second here. I want to find that. Again, this is a live show, folks. Uh, give me a minute. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And this quote that the principal of the um, Bucks County High School South found to be violation of their policy um, was taken actually from Ellie Weissel's 1986 speech that he gave. That it was, it was his 1986 acceptance speech for the Nobel Peace Prize. Okay, that's what it was. And here's the quote. Quote, we must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Sometimes we must interfere. When human lives are endangered, when human dignity is in jeopardy, national borders and sensitivities become irrelevant. I want to read that last sentence again. When human lives are endangered, when human dignity is in jeopardy, national borders and sensitivities become irrelevant. Wherever men or women are persecuted because of their race, religion, or political views, that place must at that moment become the center of the universe. This is what they found to be so objectionable. Okay, Stacy Lee is in the studio. Let me get her on the show. Hello, Stacy. Hi, and I just want to say I love that quote. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great one, and gosh, you could it use is. it for almost, almost, almost anything. Yeah, people, I just want to say people really need to start standing up and, and speaking out on a variety of issues. Because Agreed. silence really, really helps the oppressor. And I can't remember the famous phrase, though you might know it, something about... Um, no, no, no. When good men, when good men oh, turn yeah. away, all that is needed for evil men to triumph for good men <laughs> to remain silent and do nothing. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, words, yeah, words, words to live by. Yeah. So, hi, Denise. <laughs> hi, is it Stacy or Stacy Lee? I want to t- call you the right name. Uh, what Stacey do you prefer, Stacy Lee? Welcome, Stacy Lee. Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report. Um, I was just trying to kind of keep things going because, you know, live shows can have their glitches <laughs> and I'm not immune from those either. So uh, once again, I'm going to let our audience know that you are a fierce animal rights activist and environmentalist. Your blog and podcast is called Reality Checks. Uh, you advocate for the planet and the animal kingdom that are being ravaged by constantly escalating corporate abuse and other abuses. You're widely published. Um, And today I'm going to let you discuss, first of all, because a lot of our, a lot of what we do here on the Environmental Justice Report, we talk about a lot of legal issues. Um, I don't think we talk too much about animals. So why don't you give our audience kind of a, a general overview of your work first? Okay. Um, well, in, I'll just briefly start with, because it's kind of like a, a, a funny story. Uh, I grew up in New York, and we have lots of wildlife, but we obviously do not have sea turtles. And I am not a diver or a swimmer, as most people who work with, you know, marine life are, so it's kind of like ironic. So I came down to Florida just, you know, kind of on a, on a whim, and <clears throat> this was in 2007. And I happened to go to a discussion at Gumbo Limbo in Boca, Excuse me. It's a sea turtle hospital and rehab center. And they were talking about sea turtles, and I happened to meet a couple of people, and they were looking for 
volunteers. And I thought, well, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to physically work with sea turtles, not sitting at a desk, you know, shifting paper around, writing studies nobody cares about, but actually out in the field, you know, recording the data and rescuing the hatchlings from light pollution. So obviously I stayed in Florida, and uh, I could not give that up. So I started that in 2008, and I did what we call the morning survey for nine years, I would still be doing it today, except I've dug so many hundreds of nests after they hatched, which is a requirement to get the data, that I kind of uh, tore my rotator cuff. So I kind of had to give that up. But it was an amazing experience for nine years. And then for 11 years at the same time, I was also out at night rescuing hatchlings from light pollution, which is a huge global yeah, huge, huge global problem. We have a lot of problems in Florida, and Florida is, well, it's a, it's a huge problem as far as seafood conservation. So in 2019, I kind of ended my work with that, and the state, uh, FWC, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation, or I should say conservation, agency decided they didn't want anyone out there doing the hatchlings, you know, God forbid, so they kind of took away the permits, and, and that program kind of ended. And that's when I decided, well, i got to do something because I'm just outspoken, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to go away quietly. And, and, and I also have all this information and all these, you know, credentials. So, you know, not, not enough people speak out, as you know, to begin with. <clears throat> so I started my blog, um, which is Reality Checks with Stacey Lee, and – the thing about having your own blog is you can pretty much say what needs to be said and you're not, you know, censored, which is a thing of beauty. I highly recommend it for anyone out there. If you have an opinion, put it out right. there. Um, right. Because there's so much, there's so much misinformation um, and BS. Well, misinformation and disinformation, and it's mostly deliberate, you know. Um, it's not hard to find the truth. You might have to do a little digging. But there's so much crap out there that, people think is news, um, right. that it's hard to kind of counter that. So I try to encourage people to, you know, get out there on social media or have a blog or website or whatever to try to, you know, kind of be a voice for animals and the environment because, you know, they have no voice. They, they can't speak for themselves. And then a couple of months ago, I was given an amazing opportunity by um, Gary, who runs, he's the founder of All About Animals Radio. He's my, he's my producer. And so now uh -huh. I, too, have my own podcast where I can further voice <laughs> my outspoken opinions about about what's going on. So my work in the field with sea turtles has ended. So now I'm at the point where I am trying to trying to educate people about, you know, how we can save this species and all of the problems that are going to crash a species, and I'm not talking in a century, I'm not even talking 20 years, I'm talking like in the next few years, it is already mm. happening. And I'm basically, spend a lot of time outing frauds. Uh, you wouldn't think that. You would think that it's just the, you know, the politicians and the government agencies that are doing all the bad things. But I can tell you, I've got a long list of nonprofits um, mm. that pretend that they're trying to save sea turtles, and they're not. I don't ever support or donate to any environmental or animal group if they claim that they're working to save sea turtles and manatees because I know for a fact it's a lie and I've outed them wow. because of that. 
Yeah, so so that's that's a huge part of the problem because people think, oh, well, there's like Citro Conservancy and a bunch of others, and they must right. be doing something. And I'm like, oh no, oh no. So I went out and I've I've written a few articles for Scubaverse and for Science Direct and E Magazine, and mm-hmm. I decided to write kind of like a two-part series to really kind of break it down with pictures. Now, you know, you see a picture or a video. It says everything you need to know about what's going on with the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it really kind of shows you the problem. You know, no matter how great a writer you are, words are just words. But if you actually see the picture, then it's like, oh, you know, I get it. So I systematically contacted a ton of nonprofits and sea turtle biologists, and I went all the way up to the highest point you can possibly be on planet Earth, and that would be the IUCN, right? If you can't get help from them, forget it. Could you tell our audience who the IUCN is? Oh, the IUCN is the the International Union of Conservation. Oh, gosh, you know I know it. I'm... I think you just an IUCN, the International Union of Conservation and Nature, something like that. It's, okay. it's part of it's part of CITES, and basically they're the ones that talk about if a species is on the quote red list or if mm-hmm. it's critically endangered. And it's an international group of supposedly the best of the best scientists, and they do all uh-huh. these studies. And they make all these determinations, and then these countries are supposed to you know do something with that information. So there's about 300 members for the marine turtle specialist group, and these are supposed to be the world's best of the best. And I happen to know several people on that group. They're from Florida, and they're part of the problem. So hmm. I contacted them, uh, not using my name because I, I'm too well-known as far as sea turtles go, and I just wanted to see what they were going to come back with. And they came back with, I'll just say it, a load of crap. Um, just literally down the line, all of these people make a living trying to get people to donate to their nonprofit or their group or whatever, um, mm-hmm. and they put out studies and these little feel-good videos, but, of course, I already know the truth because of all my field work. And so they would come back with this, oh, no, it's not that big of a problem. It is. Um, <clears throat> and we don't need to do anything right now, blah, blah, blah. And then I sent back the truth, like, you know, I took their email and then I, I added uh, ahead of the truth in red and I sent it back to them and, like, no, no response, which is typical if you are, if you are caught lying, right, Janine? <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you tell me a lie and then I'm like, oh, sweetie, <laughs> here's the truth. Um, yeah, yeah so you're probably not going to come back to me and go, oh, okay, sorry. So you're, that's okay. So you're saying that a lot of these groups that are in Florida – that purport to be uh, basically wanting to save animal species are basically committing a fraud. Like, what, what groups are those? A huge, a huge amount of fraud. Well, when it comes to sea turtles, believe it or not, there are very, very few groups that actually focus just on sea turtles. Even though everybody loves them when they see them, and it's a global, you know, population. There are very few. So the biggest one, the biggest and oldest one in the U.S. is in Florida, and mm-hmm. it used to used to be called the Archie Carr Conservation Corporation. Then they changed it to Sea Turtle Conservancy, um, mm-hmm. and David Godfrey runs it. And uh, they focus on on Costa Rica, not not Florida. And so 
I contacted David over the years, and when Karen Shooties was mm-hmm. there, I, I mean, these are people that I knew personally. I would go to the permit holder right. meetings and talk to the person, and we would try to get grant money for lighting and all kinds of things. So mm-hmm. it, 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 it basically was kind of like um, the, bare, the bare minimum. And the permit holder meetings was required for those of us who were on state permits. Right, there's there's not a lot of us. There's only a few, you know, three or four hundred in the in the whole state, and so everybody pretty much knows everybody. And this is required, and it's supposed to be run and paid for by FWC, except that Sea Turtle Conservancy sponsors it, so they have a very cozy relationship with Robin Trindell, who runs the Sea Turtle program for the entire state of Florida, short for FWC. Megan Kuklucki is the one that hands out all the permits. So. I said, well, you have a really cozy relationship with Robin. Why don't you just ask her to do something about enforcing the federal, state, county, and local laws just about lighting, right? Nope. Ticket. Absolutely. Yeah, that's would not. that light pollution you were talking about, right? That's that, yeah, that's, that's that light, light pollution. And if you've ever seen, if you've ever been on the beach at night, it is really, really bright. You have the sky glow, which just kind of lights up, especially when it rains. It's like this thick, orange, goldish kind of color, and it's mm-hmm. always there. And then you have the individual bright lights, the patio lights, the porch lights, the indoor lights, street lights, headlights in the car. So it comes from all over. And it's a huge, huge problem. And in the state of Florida, there are very few places that are really dark. There's the one I used to work on um, in the morning, Highland Beach, which is so dark you can't see places in front of you. And it's a private beach. Nobody's on it. And their disorientation from light pollution is like 5%. So that is fantastic. That is a very small part of Florida. Most of Florida is like... You know, you've seen the pictures, Miami, um, Daytona Beach, Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, just like lit up like a Christmas tree. So, and, I, you know, again, part of my ignorance, what does light pollution do to ocean wildlife like are in the sea turtles? Well, it's the bright light is so light that when the little hatchlings come out of their mm-hmm. nest, Unfortunately for them, they do not go by smell of ocean or sound. I wish they would, but they don't. They look around for, if not the moon, but the bright horizon. They're not driven by the moon. They're driven by the bright horizon, which if you were down here a couple hundred years ago, we had big dunes, we had lots of vegetation, and no human development. So it was pitch black to the west. To the east, you didn't have all that sky and all that air pollution, so it must have been amazing. You just had all those stars, right? And so the the east was all illuminated. So they come out of a little chamber, they turn the little heads around, and the house is only like three inches big. And then they go, okay, that's home. And then they crawl as fast as they can to the water that's illuminated by the reflection uh-huh. of all the stars. Unfortunately, with all the light pollution, the opposite has occurred. So when they turn around... All these little lights from all the condos and the houses and the street lights, they mm-hmm. look like the stars, and the ocean is pitch black. And so they race towards the lights, and they either run out of energy, or they might get picked up by, you know, another, a night heron or a fox or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, they end up in the street um, and run over by cars, they fall down, storm drains. And this isn't just Florida. 
this is all over the world, the light pollution. Okay, so, okay, I don't mean to interrupt, but it's like I'm trying to make this so that our average person can understand it Um, because not everybody is as, you know, enlightened, shall we say. Um, What when if too many of these little sea turtle hatchlings die, fail to thrive, what is the impact overall on the, you know, on our environment? Well, in the state of Florida, I would say anywhere from, based on my name, anywhere from 70 to 90% of all the sea turtle hatchlings die mm-hmm. just from light pollution and never make it to the ocean. Right. So, yeah, so that, that, is, not, that is not survivable um, for any, any species. That's just light pollution when you have the plastic and the hot sand. The mm-hmm. sea turtles are kind of a canary, uh, canary in a coal mine because uh-huh. they live most of their life in the ocean, but then they come on land to make the mm-hmm. nest and they incubate here. So okay. if something is going wrong, you could literally see if it's something on land or something in the ocean. Okay, so they're basically if they die out, then you know something worse is happening with the ecosystem. Exactly. They're, they're, they're also the hatchlings are also food for basically any anything that comes along that wants to eat a little little tiny hatchling. So mm-hmm. it's not just that the sea turtles themselves would die off, but they are food. Or a okay. lot of other so, so you know these, it's a domino effect. So right, so these little sea turtles are kind of the equivalent in Florida to what certain species of I think it's toads are in the Amazon. Right, right. Okay, yes. that that is they when they disappear, we know that something has really fallen apart in the ecosystem that can eventually hurt all of us. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's the teacher in me. Not everybody really is that well, uh, now, that knowledgeable about this. The teacher in me comes out. I want to make sure that this is, that the average person knows why this is important because there's so much, as you say, misinformation and disinformation out there that a lot of people just kind of go, oh, well, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, and, <laughs> yeah, and some of the things you describe about, you know, the, the beach and the, and the moonlight and everything. I'm here in the Midwest. So I'm listening going, oh, I didn't know that, you know, because here when it gets dark, it just gets, I mean, you know, I'm in the Midwest. Okay. I'm in St. Louis. So (laughs) we have a big muddy river and that's about it. Okay. So this is, you know, really this canary in the coal mine type situation. Um, Okay. So let me, I looked up STC and the Sea Turtle Conservancy, um, it does say that they were ba- they're based in Gainesville, Florida, but right. why? And and but they do. You're right. They do focus their efforts uh, in Costa Rica and Panama and places like that. Why do you think they're not focusing in Florida? You know, uh, I asked them. Uh, many times and I did not get an answer. Um, Hmm. I can tell you that David's reply um, was that they had funded uh, lighting changes for about 300 homes or 300 buildings. Well, in Broward County alone, we have thousands of buildings just in the 30-mile stretch. So you can imagine what the whole state would be like. 300 
wouldn't do anything, and it wasn't even like 300 all in a row. So, so that wouldn't do anything. Um, but they focus, they focus um, their, you know, if you are in the States, it's pretty hard to find out what someone is doing in another country. That's one thing. I mean, it's mm. pretty hard to find out what a nonprofit is doing with their money to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. But in a foreign country, I mean, how would you even begin to find out what's going on unless you were down there and spoke the language, you know, and talked to the natives? So that's one thing that a lot of these nonprofits do is that they have these projects far away that there's just no way that you could figure out if they were actually doing something. Um, Originally, they were supposed to be focused here because they're based in Florida. So, yeah, it is quite ironic. I told you that that cozy relationship with Mm -hmm. FWC so we had requested much, much help from them for years and never got anything. So they have no intention of, of helping anyone in Florida. And David had put in an email to me that, number one, there was no urgency about the light pollution and as far as the hot sand because studies going back at least 10 years show that a lot of the beaches in Florida, and this is a climate change too, so it's not just neutrals that are affected. Sure. But this is just another indication. The sand is so hot, it only produces females. And usually oh, wow. you have, yeah, you, well, usually you have more females than males, you know. Right. Um, but if it's like 55-45 or even 60-40, that's okay. But if it gets to be like 80-20, that is not sustainable. There's no way that you could possibly make mm-hmm. that math work because that would mean every male would have to live to adulthood and be fertile enough to produce healthy offspring. And that just isn't the case. You know, the water down here is so polluted on top of all of this. Mm-hmm. So the hot sand, uh, and that is pretty much most of Broward and Palm Beach County, which is also where you have the most dense nesting, is only producing females. So that also means the egg spoil. Um, sometimes the hatchlings will hatch out of the egg, hit the hot sand, that, that's it. They die. They literally roast right there. Yeah, I've seen oh. that too. Yeah. So between the light pollution and the hot, the hot sand, um, mm-hmm. it doesn't look good for the species surviving. So I came up with a, a solution, which would be an indoor hatchery. Not a solution mm-hmm. to, quote, the species, but a solution right. to kind of kick the can down the road, you know, sure. um, maybe a miracle will occur and we will, you know, get it together kind of thing. But right. at least at least fix the light pollution and the hot sand, which would be an indoor hatchery, which can be done, right. um, that's temperature controlled. So basically you excavate the nest and you just put them in a bucket and you keep them there for two months with mm-hmm. like the AC on and then you produce males. And when the little hatchlings hatch, you go down to the ocean, you release them, and then you don't have to worry about the light pollution, and you don't have to worry about the hot sand. And not right. one person, FWC, Future Conservancy, Loggerhead Marine Life, Gumbo Limbo, and Cole, <clears throat> um, the IUCN, and mm-hmm. I also spoke to about this in the Caribbean and other, other countries. Not one of them said, oh, this needs to be done. It was all, oh, we've got time. It's not that urgent. I'm like, 90% of the hatchings don't make it to the water. That's urgent. That was true when I started in 2008. That's, that's pretty urgent. So, so that, that's what we're facing. 
Yeah. You mentioned, you talk a lot about the light pollution, but you mentioned the water pollution as well. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I've heard complaints uh, from other conserv- other environmentalists about uh, various types of water pollution. In Florida, we had um, Maggie Herchala on the show about a year or so ago. And, oh, um, Maggie. yes, yes. Um, and this seems to be, you know, a common theme, um, you know, so much so that sometimes you just feel like putting your hands up in the air, but, um, you know, they're getting away with it, in my opinion, through the assistance of what can only be called the armies of corporate attorneys bastardizing their licenses. Okay, there's no other way to put it, um, because you know this is basically poisoning our water um could you is it possible could you say that what's happening to the the sea turtles could could also uh show how could also be like a barometer to measure the increasing water pollution as well yes absolutely in fact i have pictures um part of part of the, the reason that i decided to work with sea turtles wasn't just so I mark the nest and, and rescue them. But I was also allowed to do all kinds of things. And in 2010, we had this, quote, coal-stunning incident or event or whatever. And uh-huh. it turned out to be a good thing in disguise. It had stayed very warm. Um, mm-hmm. Florida used to have nice, cool weather, not winter, but fall weather, you know, December, January, February, March. And, well, right now it's 82 degrees out, so there you go. So back in December, it was very warm, and the turtles were supposed to go north or east or west or wherever. They were supposed to leave Florida waters um, and go someplace else, but the water was so warm, they stayed here. And then, boom, temperature dropped, and then they were, you know, kind of cold stunned, so to speak, um, and just floating in the ones they had to be rescued. It was a blessing in disguise, Janine, because most of them, and these were the green sea turtles, which like mm-hmm. to hang around, hang around close to human, uh, human population, unlike the loggerheads and the hawksbill and leatherbacks. The babies mm-hmm. go in the water and they are gone. They go into the ocean, but mm-hmm. the greens stay around until they mature for about 20 years. So almost all of these coal stone turtles ended up having these really kind of weird-looking pale blue, pink, cauliflower-type tumors all over their mm-hmm. body on their fins, their eyes, their flippers, everywhere. So that can actually kill them. Um, and that comes from exposure to water that is polluted. And that was back in 2010. And so we had this big surgery day where these like uh, veterinarians came from all over, uh, mm-hmm. Boston, Chicago, and Georgia. And we performed mm-hmm. surgery on gosh, 100, 130 turtles, removing all of these tumors. And I have pictures of all of this. Oh, this smell when they would bring the tumors off. But that, that is a clear indication. I think I read some report where dolphins were getting these tumors. It's called fibropapilloma tumors. And mm-hmm. I could have sworn I read something about dolphins also getting these tumors. Um, okay or fish in the Chesapeake. But don't quote me on that because I'm not 100% sure. But that would make sense that there would be species. Right. Did anybody bother to, once they remove that tissue, to uh, do some sort of a chemical analysis 
of those tumors to determine whether or not the tumors were derived from, say, you know, various carcinogenic elements, like from mining operations and such? Um, if that was, I'm, I'm not aware that that was done. Uh, I don't think it was, that's why I'm asking. It's, it's, it's something that should be done. Oh, absolutely. In fact, every turtle that washes up, well, actually every animal that washes up, there should be necropsies done, but there aren't. Mm-hmm. And the reason that, that it's not, I mean, the state will tell you that I'm funding our money. That's not true. Um, FWC has a budget of $433 million. And they don't do any conservation. Yeah, so they have more than enough, more than enough money. So that's not the reason. The real reason that tests are not done is simply it's not to do a test. Mm-hmm. In this day and age, with the cell phones and the security cameras and and everything, mm-hmm. if I do a test, those results at some point will get leaked, and then mm-hmm. I will be forced to either do something about that right. or lie, cover it up. If I don't right. do a test. I'm ignorant and incompetent, but I right. can't be sued. You see the difference? So, oh, no, exactly. And it's, that's kind of what happened. I'm thinking about, um, you know, the environmental lawyer, Stephen Donzinger, where basically yes. they traced, yes. yeah, they traced uh, various cancers and other ailments directly to the uh, waste products that might, and the fluent coming from uh, uh, the, uh, liquid effluent coming from uh, mining operations. Right. And they had exactly. to test for that. Um, and, you know, once again, I, I that would be interesting to contact um, the STC and maybe challenge them to start doing that testing. Because in the areas where they're, where they're active, yeah. there are mining operations there. They could. I mean, it would be interesting to see and then track the sea turtles to see how far this pollution is going and which industries are responsible. Exactly. And that also circles back to the nonprofit. Um, Obviously, you do not do anything like we discussed. Sea Turtle Conservancy is the biggest one in the country. And the only one focused on sea turtles, but not in the state of Florida. And what they do in Florida is absolutely nothing. We have, I think, three three seashore hospitals in the whole state. Now, the thing about Florida is that it's the number one nesting spot for loggerheads in the world. So mm-hmm. as we're killing off the loggerheads, that absolutely affects the global population right. of loggerhead sea turtles. And, you know, the Pacific, I'm sure you've seen those pictures, who hasn't, um, in the Pacific, like around Malaysia and Indonesia, where you know it's supposed to be a body of water, but there's so right. much solid waste in it, right? Right. Okay, so, so and, and also on, on the beach. So a lot of the historic nesting for the leatherbacks, and leatherbacks are those huge turtles, like as big as a small car. Right. So their nesting is basically covered, you know, with, with all of that trash. So their nesting is gone, and their population is pretty much, pretty much um, crashed. So that would be the Pacific leatherback. We have the Atlantic leatherback. So we only have a couple thousand leatherbacks that nest in Florida, but the population is so fragile. We need all of them to be able to nest, and we need all the hatchlings to make it to the water. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the thing in Florida is between the hot sand and the light, we can't even get them in the water. And then once right. they're in the water, you know, you've got the trash, you've got all the herbicides. Now, Florida sprays a lot of herbicides that are banned in the EU, like Dequat. Um, right. They spray around in the water. Basically, any body of water, um, the ocean, lakes, rivers, streams, uh, I mean, just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of tons of this uh, herbicide is sprayed in the water and all over the vegetation. You know, it's not it's not spot treatment. It's not even. It's not even we never want to buy. Makes me never want to buy a piece of fruit grown in Florida ever again. <laughs> no, oh no, oh no. They do they do aerial spraying oh for the mosquitoes. God. Yeah, they do aerial spraying. Yeah, I'm writing an article about this with pictures. Remember, I told you pictures, pictures really mm-hmm. bring it home. So I have a, a list of all the chemicals that they use and the dates that those chemicals were banned in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we do aerial spraying. We do aerial spraying in several forms. Sometimes a plane literally flies over and just mm-hmm. douses everything with chemicals. Um, and this is this is statewide. Some places like Miami are worse than Broward County, but it's basically statewide. But then also they have these pickup trucks with like this hose kind of standing. Oh God! Are you me? You, yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know and what you're a, talking about. Okay, and it's a, like plumes of smoke. So I saw these pictures, and I'm like, if this doesn't get people wondering, like, what is going on? So we have the aerial spraying of all these chemicals, and then we have the actual spraying in the water with these loud airboats, um, and we're just killing everything left and right. And yes, the state is aware because FWC. Um, was involved in a study a few years ago that the university, I think it was the University of Georgia, conducted mm-hmm. on dequat and how it was killing off many of the animals that depend on the water, like the critically endangered snail kite, which we are losing, and mm-hmm. eagles. eagles. Um, and they found that the snail kite is very effective because when they spray these pesticides on the the water lettuce and the hydrilla and a couple of other things, um, mm-hmm. it, they're poisoning the food of the snail kite. So, yes, FWC not only is aware that these chemicals are toxic to all the marine life and us humans, but they actually participated in studies where they got the data to show this, you know. Uh, the only part of conservation FWC is involved in is their title. Uh, they don't do it. They're, they're all run by hunters, hunters and developers um, and, and chemical companies. In fact, it's so bad. They now have uh, Matt Phillips runs the aquatic marine aquatic department for FWC. And that department is in charge of deciding what chemicals to use to spray in the water to kill this, you know, water lettuce as if that's like a big problem. He also is now the president of a lobby, uh, the Aquatic was it, the Aquatic Society of Florida, which is basically a lobby company. He's now the president of, and the members and other board board of directors are all the chemical companies that get these million dollar contracts that Matt signs off on for FWC that he's also working for. At the same time, right? I, I just I downloaded. Yeah, right? I just downloaded uh, 
from the Sea Turtle Conservancy, their own website, current partners yeah. and sponsors. And uh-huh. one of their top partner sponsors is a Swiss watchmaker, Certina. Okay. Mm-hmm. Another one is um, a cosmetic group, Tarte High Performance Naturals. Um, it goes on down the line. There's one here that really got my um, – give me a second here. I just was looking at it. Oh, man, I really need new glasses desperately. Here's one. Um, I I do. Um, There's a bunch of stuff from Disney. Disney's Animal Science and Environment, uh, Disney Conservation Mm -hmm. Fund, um, Mm -hmm. Disney Faro Beach Resort, okay, Mm -hmm. part of their vacation club. And, you know, once again, uh, this really looks like, greenwashing because okay you know the same company that creates more uh, more housing more vacation homes whatever you want to call it creating more pollution then they give a few bucks to this group exactly Um, and uh, and it's a shame because i think seatural conservancy was started in i think the 50s and they actually did good work we wouldn't even have green sea travels if it weren't for archie carr uh, who went down to the Caribbean because we had used we used to eat green sea turtles, the, the actual turtle as well as the eggs, and we oh. basically ate them to extinction. So between the 1960s and 80s, right. we actually had to go to the Caribbean and get the eggs and incubate them, which brings me back to, yes, when I say that we can do these indoor hatcheries, we've already done these indoor hatcheries. We've already done all of this, and we they have work. Exactly, well, this, uh, exactly. one of their other partners, this is the one I was looking for, Renaissance RE. Um, they are a global provider of property, catastrophe, and specialty insurance. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, they're now one of the world's, according to their own words, they're now one of the world's t- largest and most successful reinsurers of natural and man-made catastrophes. So they really will make money as long as, they continue to convince people they need this insurance. So they don't want exactly. the problem solved too terribly much. Solve it a little, but not too much. Right, right. Just, so just enough to make it look like you're doing something. Right, right. And, and you know, this is this whole inbreeding where you see corporations, offending corporations, they will greenwash, they will give money to organizations that start out as good organizations. And, you know, are these organizations really going to bite the hand that feeds them? You know, it's at some point you have to decide, okay, this funding that's being given voluntarily, eh, there's going to be strings attached. There has to be. Um, You know, this is, I had to dig a little bit, but it was here. Um, So this is, I know you've talked about other animal species besides sea turtles. Um, And I guess what I'm trying to do right now is, again, make this relevant for the average person who is not necessarily knowledgeable about this at all. I mean, you know, the average person working, you know, like here in the Midwest, working two to three jobs, they're just trying to make ends meet, and they're just, and you know, let's face it, the far right has painted those of us that are environmentalists as, you know, crazy tree huggers. And, (laughs) and, And so we're talking about an animal species that not many people see, you know, it's easy to kind of fall for that unless you right. fill in the context. 
that's what we're looking for. So in terms of the context of this, you know, if you had a wish list, you know, first of all, what would you want to have happen beyond sea turtles as well, you know, in terms of the whole ecosystem and the pollution, because it still comes back to pollution. Um, and how would you explain that to the average person who just doesn't know zip? Well, in a, in a state of Florida, we'll just start there. In the state of Florida, and of course, this this could be used as a, as a template. The first thing I would I would love to see is a ban on all aerial spraying. Number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, a ban on all spraying in the water of any chemical. Number three, a ban on dumping sewage because surprise, Florida still dumps human poop in the water. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. In fact, they don't treat it. Well, uh, I will leave that up to people listening, thinking how well the state I've just described would be involved in such such a thing. Okay. Um, we're constantly, getting, yeah, we're we're constantly getting breaks. Uh, the the you know the the uh, the lines are breaking. In fact, a couple of years ago, Fort Lauderdale constantly had breaks because, you know, Florida's at sea level, right? So you can't really dig down like, like if you were in New, in New York. You mean sewer lines are breaking. Right, right. Okay. Um, you could, you know, normally you could dig down and bury them, but in Florida we're like at sea level and it's all limestone, which is very soft and pliable, right? Mm-hmm. So when they came up with this system, I guess they figured they just, you know, put it there and they didn't ever maintain it. So it's constantly breaking and leaking. And there was about a couple of months where whole neighborhoods of Fort Lauderdale were covered in poop. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. It's going to make the national news. Did you hear about it? No, no, (laughs) no, no. Um, we can forget, you can forget Fox News, but no, CNN, NBC, ABC, no, no. I, well, I have anyway, to let me let me let's say facts. Fox mm-hmm. ain't news. Yeah, Fox, Fox ain't never news. was news. Okay, Fox <laughs> is propaganda. Let's go. Yeah, Fox yeah. is propaganda. Let's just let's just keep it straight. Yeah, along with OAN and the whole. Yeah, go ahead. So this so no this this doesn't this doesn't make the news. I mean, if if bar- it barely made the news in. In Florida, because Florida only has one one kind of economy, and that would be tourism. And it's weird because it's literally on a on a suicide mission. It is poisoning the water and the land and the air, and it only has one one economy. That's really quite suicidal. But these pipes are constantly breaking. And yeah, unless unless you're local and you take pictures, you wouldn't even know about it. But I was astounded coming from New York that they had these these big pipes and they put the poop in and if, if you fly over Florida, you'll see, if you go out a couple of miles, you see like a line of Brown. Well, that's not, that's not seaweed. Um, oh a couple God. of years ago, yeah, a couple of years ago down in Dade County, um, I was at Crandon park, which is on Biscayne, Biscayne uh, Bay Island, which Biscayne uh-huh. Bay is supposed to be a wildlife refuge, but it's not. Uh-huh. There's million dollar condos, and the entire beach was covered in poop. There was about all the seaweed was mixed in with it. You could smell it in the parking lot. It smelled like somebody had gotten sick in the bathroom. This went on oh all summer long. All summer long. And the city of Miami was like, 
well, I guess we're going to have to fix the pipe. No, you're going to have to stop doing that. So when you ask what would I like to see done, those would be the three main things. No more aerial spraying, no more spraying anything in the water, and no more dumping poop in the water. If you could do those three, Mm -hmm. you could actually have... Have uh, have some have a de- have a decent state here. How does that affect you guys? I'll tell you. We grow a lot of food. And we exactly. It all over the place. So how do you know when you're in the supermarket if what you're buying was swimming in poop or sprayed with dequat? You have no way of knowing because we never really got those country of origin labels and all those honest food labels, right? I remember fighting for that in the nineties. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So they, they, they fought that, they fought that, they fought that. Then the mad cow, and then they were like, okay, maybe we'll do it. But those labels don't tell you anything. And unless you really follow these issues, you have no idea where your food comes from. But we ship seafood <laughs> all over. And we also right. have Mosaic, which I think is the largest fertilizer plant in the U.S. So it's, it's huge. They had a huge, massive sinkhole. And all of their toxic chemicals just went all over, not just the aquifer of Florida, but the Gulf of Mexico. Right. Well, that's where you get a lot of your fish from. So even if you don't care about sea turtles or, or marine life, um, right. if, if you eat seafood or produce, you might want to rethink if it comes from Florida. It, it, it affects all of us. Yeah. Yes, it, it, really, it really does. And then, of course, if we have to go and get money from the federal government for some cleanup, well, who pays into the federal government? All of the taxpayers. So we're right. grabbing money from people in Ohio, Mississippi, Texas. I would think that they would be, you know, a little PO'd uh, that their tax dollars are, you know, maybe going to a state that's incredibly right. irresponsible. Right. So right. that, if if that makes sense, that would, you know, that would that would be it. And Boycott anything from Florida. I mean, nothing yeah. gets people's attention like money. You well, know that, right? Oh, of course. And and boycotts yeah. do work. They want to tell people they don't, they but they do. do. They do. You know, do. here in and again, I, I keep referring back because, like I said, my predecessor Rick, you know, he was in Florida for a very long time. But I'm in yeah. <laughs> right, right since the Brooks Brothers, you know, tantrum in 2000. But um, I'm born and bred in the Midwest, and Several years ago, Nestle's, you know, the, who has a CEO that said water is not a human right. We exactly. have really, I remember that. Yeah, we have really good water here, supposedly. And they wanted to um, basically purchase the rights to our water. And oh, God, the, don't let them. No. No, no, we did. <laughs> the, 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 the politicians on both sides, Democrats and Republicans, were saying, yeah, do it. But a grass, a real grassroots came up, and people, whether they, I live in a conservative neighborhood only because that's where I could afford a home, and you know, people in this area too were up in arms, is like, like, excuse my language, like hell, they're going to take our water. Um, exactly. But it, you had to do a lot of explaining. So often when I have guests on the show, I try to ask them about context and extending that context so that the average person can understand, because that's where, especially on the left, that's where we kind of miss the boat a lot of times. You know, we, we have people that are very bright, and they know their stuff. They're just, they assume everybody else knows, and the average person, not necessarily. 
You know, right. they may be just tired just from working all the time. Um, so, no, I agree. Boycotts do work. And, um, you know, it, it's here in the Midwest. You know, Florida is a place where people go, oh, I'm going to retire in Florida. It's like, no, thank you. Um, more I hear about it, the more I think, I think I'm going to stay put. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, it's gotten to the point where we don't have a right we're being basically kept from any transparency at all, you know, and the fact yeah. is you can't have accountability without transparency. You know, before I did the whole journalism thing, um, I was in education for 30 years. Uh, I specifically in the school setting, I was a speech language pathologist. So I know documentation. That's just like the first thing you, they teach you. And, um, you know, this whole pattern of a lack of transparency. I mean, personally, I, I would argue I'm a much better writer than I am a broadcaster, truth be told. And I am a words person, very much so. Um, you know, but, you know, if you need someone to argue something and make it understandable and um, with all the documentation to hang them with, I'm your girl. Um, the other stuff, maybe not so much. But, yeah, this is something where, you know, I can see where the sea turtles tie in with the water pollution, the other pollution, the other environmental poisoning really could be argued to be potentially the canary in the coal mine, especially if instead of just having uh, indoor hatcheries, testing the turtles and the dolphins and other animals that come up with those tumors to trace back to source what's actually poisoning them. Well, it, like I said, it, sh it should be done, but if it is, no one, no one has released that information, but I got a feeling it really isn't because in all the years that I worked with sea turtles, there was very little information about that. Yeah. I'll give you another example. Now, this did make national news. Manatees. So manatees are only found, we only have a few of them, um, we barely have any now, uh, in the state of Florida, the Indian, Indian manatee. Uh, they have a cousin out in Australia. I'm going to mispronounce this. The dugong. Um, I have no idea. So the, Go ahead. The manatee is a, a very large, like four or five hundred pound animal. It's about six, seven feet long. It's gray. It's got a very small head for its body, but it has got the cutest little face ever. And it's very endangered. And the water is just complete poison. And in the Indian River Lagoon and the Lake Worth Lagoon, and also on, uh, in Crystal River on the West Coast, they have just saturated that water uh, and that vegetation, which is their food, with all of this poison. They've killed off all of the seagrass that they consume. In fact, the water is so poisoned, they can't replant anything because the water is just so toxic. And then FWC decided they didn't want anyone feeding the manatees, and they weren't going to feed the manatees. So we had, give or take, maybe 5,000 about three years ago. I'd be surprised if we had 1,500. I really would because we just lost, I think, 1,000 last year and about 1,200 the year before. And they only wow. have one, maybe two, two babies. Uh, the gestation period, I think, is 12 to 13 months. So they do not reproduce okay. very quickly or a lot. Sure. So that's another example of the water. If it's killing them, it's killing us. Right, right, exactly. I think the only way we're going to get that type of chemical analysis to trace the source is if we 
fundraise and do it, you know, grassroots privately and then right. collect the data. Okay, seriously. Uh, and I think it's something that has to be done, truth be told, because that, that's your smoking gun right there. Right, it is. Oh, it is, yeah. That's your smoking gun. So um, if there's, is there anything else that you want to tell our audience? Well, I think, I think I would like to leave them with spread the word because this isn't just a Florida problem. It's not even right. just a U.S. problem. So what's, what's going on with water is a global problem. Nobody should be dumping poop in the water. Nobody should be spraying herbicides, pesticides, or whatever the heck you want to call it in the right. water. We have known, gosh, 20, 30, 40 years ago that this was dangerous and toxic. There is no legitimate reason for any of this. There's no legitimate reason for aerial spraying. So I would ask anyone listening to just spread the word, number one, to boycott any food or anything from Florida because it is not safe, and I'm not kidding. When you come to the beaches, there are no signs warning you about red tide or what they call the blue-green algae, which is actually cyanobacteria. It's deadly. If you go in that water, you will get very sick. It's killed not only millions of marine life, everything from sea turtles to fish, but people's dogs have died. And yet the state, the state doesn't warn. They come out early in the morning and they scoop up all the dead marine life. They dump it somewhere, and then they just let the tourists walk what, on the beach and swim. Red what? Red tide mm-hmm. and blue-green algae. Uh, the blue-green algae is where the water looks like it's emerald green, and it mm-hmm. really smells. And those are two separate things, but they can also go together. And both are exacerbated by spraying the herbicides and also all the oil spills. And so that's where all your food comes from. Um, I think, yeah, I think Florida also, well, that seeps into everything because, like I said, it's, it's, we're all limestone and we're mm-hmm. at sea level. And a lot of the coastal Florida is somewhat underwater perpetually. Anyway, we're, we're literally sinking. So it's not just in the ocean or the Gulf. If you right. get fish anywhere inside the state, right, even like in the middle of the state, that water is highly toxic too, and all the water commingles. We have all of those pipes, you know, water mm. goes out, water comes in, right? right. Um, we have all those hurricanes, it picks up water from one place and puts it someplace else. Sure. So you're not safe buying fish from, you know, um, one of the lakes either. It's just as, it's just as toxic, and, and they spray that as well. So, yeah, I would say the biggest message is boycott any any, any kind of food from Florida. Um, and if you want to go to a pretty safe place, mm-hmm. you know, maybe try the Caribbean or New Zealand, but, but not Florida. <laughs> right. Well, and, and actually I think the whole red tide, blue algae thing, I think that could be a whole show by itself. Because it could be a whole like, show by itself, yes. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think what I'm asking is maybe in the near future, if you would like, we can work on a show together about that specifically. I because, would love that to mean, yeah. Uh, I, I have a lot to uh, say about that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and the thing is, I guess my gift is I'm pretty darn good at research and analysis. So I think, and get some pictures on the site because I think this is something that the average person, especially when you said the dogs were dying, killed to someone's oh, yeah. dog. 
I remember years ago, it's the only time I've been to Florida, um, my aunt then took me and my cousin, and we went down to Disney World. And we were adults, but, you know, Midwesterners, we had never seen it. And we on the, one of the places we stopped at was a beach. I think it was Daytona. It was a small piece of beach. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had grown up seeing Gidget and, you know, Moondoggy and the pretty beaches on TV and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, now, I'm not a good swimmer, okay? So I just kind of, like, waded in. Oh, my God. There was a film on my skin. It felt like filth. It just did. And now that you're talking, it probably was. I couldn't wait to get yeah. back to shower it off. It was, if you could just feel this, 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 um, like film of God knows what it's on your like skin. Slime. It was like slime, right? It was, it was, it was like, it was kind of like, like slime. I will, I will say that, and I can't remember if it was two years ago or three years ago, um, we, you know, it comes in waves. You'll, you'll hear that, you know, the red tide is worse this year than last year, but it's, it's basically kind of perpetual. It's, it's always well, this in, was back in '96. Not '96. Yeah. This was back in '92. Excuse me. Well, this, yeah, this, this, this stuff isn't new. It's, it's much worse now than it was 10, 20 years ago. But it's, it's always been around, and it's just getting worse. But the CDC came down, and they mm-hmm. took blood and tissue samples of several people up in Martin County who were constantly exposed to this blue-green algae. I do not, I know the people who were tested, um, mm-hmm. and many of them were sick. Um, but I don't think they ever released that to the public. So, again, right, um, is that... Well, that we might find out something more because I'm really good at bugging government people. <laughs> I really am. I've I've been, I've irritated a lot of U.S. senators and generals and you name it. Okay, so um, I'm proud to say one of this just a total aside. One of my articles years ago, I did a piece on how they were torturing then Bradley now Chelsea Manning, and um, I went all the way up the Pentagon food chain because I just pestered them seriously. And uh, I got all the way up to, like, the guy who was the white, I think it was the presidential advisor for the military, David Lapton, I think his name was. And then what happened was when Manning took them to court in federal case, that article made it in evidence. So, you there? Well, we definitely, yeah, we definitely need some, some pestering because, um, and the thing is, when you go and you, well, you have to be careful, number one. But when you do get uh, a sample of the water, again, mm-hmm. where you can have it tested. So we don't have any real independent labs that would test the water honestly, you know, because they know what's in the water, and we know what's in the water, and we know they know what's in the water. So there's that cat and mouse kind of game. But we obviously can't go to FWC, and we obviously can't go to FDEP, which is the Florida Department of, of Environmental Protection. Um, so, and we can't go to FAU, Florida Atlantic University. We can't go mm-hmm. to Nova Southern University. So, again, where would we go to have this testing? You no, might have to send that's, samples that's out of state. Might have to well, send samples out of state. Yeah, we would. We would have to have to do that. Um, when the manatees were dying, gosh, you would see two, three, four of them floating in the water, you know, at a clip. And I can tell you, hardly any of them ever had necropsies performed. And none of that information was ever going to be released to the to the public. And if they do release it, you know, it's like a sentence buried in some long, tedious study that 
you know how that plays out, that no one's going to read. Uh, because this doesn't just affect, you know, the people that live in Florida, because we ship the seafood all over and the produce all over. And it's um, big money. So this, yeah. So the, oh, yeah, big, big money. So this I really know, does affect everybody. Well, I think that we just, I will be in context. I think we definitely need to do a second show on this red, yeah. <laughs> red tide, blue-green algae. Um, yeah. That one will actually be in communication a little more before the show because I'm just a stickler for documentation normally. So thank you so much for being on the show. This was, I, I know I learned a lot because you have to understand something. I'm a landlubber, Okay. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> to me, it's like fish are those, um, dolphins are those animals that go cock-a-doodle-doo, right? I'm obviously <laughs> joking. But I mean, you know, I, I'm, I know nothing about it, okay? That's why, you know, again, I like to give context. Thank you again so very much. Um, you've been a delight, and I look forward to doing a second show about that, and I will be in contact. You can guarantee, I pretty much guarantee it. Great, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about not just the sea turtles, but, you know, what's going on in Florida, which is a huge problem. And as you can right. see, we really need, we need outside help because no one down here is going to, we're not, not going to be fixed. Uh, honey, you got help right now. Excellent, okay. excellent. You got, okay. I'm a short, mean little Jewish woman, fearless. You got help. Excellent, excellent. Okay. So thank you so much, and I'm going to finish up this show because we've got a little bit of time left. Great. Thank Thank you. you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All righty. So now that was Stacey Lee Sherwood, and that was really interesting. I mean, I felt like I learned a lot because, like I said, I know nothing about nature or animals. Um, You know, I look everything up. So as I was talking about the beginning of the show, there's been a lot of, I'm just going to call because we're heading towards our Jackass of the Week Award. There's been a lot of jackassery out there. I'm just going to put it out there. And I'm sick of it. I'm just going to say I'm just so sick of it. So let's start with the jackassery, you know, at the federal level. So I'm going to first Get our little jackass brain. Get ready for it. And this is a shared award this week. It really is. Because there was so much jackassery out there, I couldn't make up my mind. So we're going to go like, this is third place, second place, and first place. So third place, jackass of the week award. Welcome to Environmental Justice Reports. Jackass of the Week Award. This week, we there were, as I was saying a few minutes ago, there was so much jackassery out there. Oh, my Lord. I, I couldn't make a decision. So we did a third place, a second place, and a first place. So third place. Here we go. Third place, Jackass of the Week. Goes to the 109 House Democrats have voted with the Republicans on an, an, an anti-socialism resolution. And the reason, and these these Democrats included people like uh, former Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Hakeem Jeffries, Clyde Coburn, uh, um, yeah, 
Jim Clyburn, excuse me, and so on and so forth. In fact, I've got an article here. Uh, yeah, Jim Clyburn did. Um, and, and once again, these were also Democrats that worked against Medicare for All as well. Um, quite a few, according to an article in Common Dreams by Brett Wilkins, um, many of the Democrats that voted for this asinine resolution were also among the wealthiest members in the House, including Pelosi. Keep in mind, Nancy Pelosi, her net worth in 2018 was over $114 million. Now, that was as documented by OpenSecrets.com. Also, Susan Delbene, a representative from Washington, is worth $79 million. Dean Phillips in Minnesota, worth $64 million. Scott Peters in California worth $60 million. Ro Khanna, the alleged progressive from California, worth some $45 million. Okay. This is outrageous. Okay. Now, we had a few members, one of the youngest members, Congressman Maxwell Alejandro Frost, really called out the Republicans and the cowardly Democrats on this one in a tweet where he said, the GO, quote, the GOP has called Social Security, Medicare, the Affordable Care Act, and even free public schools, quote, socialism, to scare people. Today, House Republicans wasted our time by debating a sham resolution in an attempt to justify cuts to programs that millions of Americans have paid into and earned. God bless New Congressman Maxwell Alejandro Frost. See, this whole anti-socialism resolution, you know, saying socialism's bad, Stalin was bad, there were a lot of socialist leaders that were murderers. Well, that's true. The problem is these Democrats that are more corporate, including Ro Khanna, in my opinion, they didn't want to step into the, quote, the Republican trap of being called socialist or socialist white. But the real trap was giving legitimacy to potential spending cuts in entitlement programs like Social Security. They're entitlement programs because we're entitled to it. We paid for it, not Wall Street. Entitlement programs such as free public schools, all of these things, the MAGA morons have called socialism. So when you sign on to something saying uh, – basically denouncing socialism in a country where socialism doesn't exist, really is a waste of time. It's giving legitimacy to a GOP, to a Republican Party that has descended into neo-Nazism. Okay? Just has. Uh, Maxine Waters was a no vote. God bless her. She called out not only the hypocrisy of Republicans, who really do support corporate welfare. Keep in mind, these Republicans that hate socialism so much, they had no problem with corporate welfare going to the rich and corporate. Like, for instance, the PPP loans. Like Tom Brady got to buy a new yacht, didn't spend it on a business. His loan was forgiven. Reese Witherspoon, the actress who is, you know, more progressive she has a clothing line. Again, she got a PPP loan, and it was forgiven. But mind you, we can't have people collecting their Social Security at the promised age of 65. God forbid. I'm being sarcastic right now. Um, and Maxine Waters, God bless her. Not only does she vote no, okay, 
But then she called out the House Small Business Committee Chair, Roger Williams, according to this article, who's a Republican from Texas. And, you know, Maxine Williams said the following. I'm not sorry, Maxine Waters was quoted as saying, quote, Mr. Williams is my friend, but I do wonder whether Mr. Williams views the $1.43 million he received in debt forgiveness to be consistent with his views on socialism. I don't get it, end quote. Bravo, Maxine. She nailed it. Nailed it. Um, we also have Representative Nydia Velasquez. I hope I'm saying her name correctly. She tweeted the following, quote, GOP logic, public housing equals socialism. Social Security and Medicare equals socialism. Infrastructure equals socialism. Republicans always have and always will brand programs to help working families as socialism. That's why I'm voting no on this distraction of a resolution, end quote. Thank you, Representative Velasquez. Um, Representative Brad Sherman, a Democrat from California, also voted against the measure. He noted during the floor debate as documented by, well, his Twitter account, actually, that there were, quote, numerous Democratic Socialist leaders around the world who have been allies of America and NATO, okay, end quote. Representative Patrick McHenry, who's a Republican from North Carolina, quipped, quote, if this resolution would just simply draw out my Democrat colleagues to just say yes, they are in favor of socialism, maybe this is a worthwhile endeavor, end quote. Well, Representative McHenry, to put it bluntly in Yiddish, you're full of shice, which is a polite way of saying, Representative McHenry, you and the entire Republican Party are full of shice, meaning you're full of shit. Um, then you had Representative Summer Lee, who is a Democrat from Pennsylvania. She was actually on, um, I think it was Face the Nation this morning. She was a former organizer of Pittsburgh's Democrat Socialist of America chapter. She voted against the resolution. And when asked about the red banding, she just shrugged it off. And she just said, quote, they're going to call you, they're going to call you socialist anyways, end quote. And that's true. So to all the cowards of the corporate Democratic Party that voted with the Republicans on this nonsensical resolution against socialism in a country where there isn't any socialism, you know, to all those cowardly Democrats that voted with the Republicans on this, they granted legitimacy to the very, I'm going to say, the very bastards that want to basically steal our Social Security, Medicare, and destroy our public schools. All 109 of those Democrats have voted with the Republicans on the anti-socialism bill, I'm sorry, the anti-socialism resolution. They are all awarded third prize of the Jackass of the Week Award from, from Environmental Justice Report and PNN. Bray on, corporate Dems, bray on. That's our third place. Now we're going to go to our second place. Okay. Our second place comes from uh, basically here in my home state of Missouri. We have a state senator. His name is Andrew Koenig. I've placed several calls to his office and never received a response as of yet. Now, Mr. Koenig is very much a Republican, MAGA, whatever. Now, he will claim that he's not a racist, I'm sure, because as a white man, he and his wife adopted two black children, which is lovely. God bless. I have no problem with it. But 
he is of that ilk that basically doesn't believe that there's such a thing as systemic racism. But again, as I said at the beginning of the show, if you have a country that that basically codified into law Jim Crow laws that justified um, basically discriminatory treatment of blacks based only on their racial assignment at birth, then that systemic racism is a very def- dictionary definition. Now, Sen- Missouri State Senator Andrew Koenig is also a recipient of a couple of, they call them scholarships, from ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. And that's a group that's behind the, writing the template for all these asinine bills, whether it's a, the Castle Doctrine, Stand Your Ground, so any idiot can shoot anybody whether it's an anti-CRT bill, which really is just censoring teachers and trying to criminalize telling the truth about American history, whether it's don't say gay laws, whatever, ALEC is at the forefront of it. They have been from the very beginning. And ALEC, you know, basically receives grant money from the Heritage Foundation. So when they say this is a mainstream GOP, that's a lie. It is. So Missouri Senator, Missouri State Senator Andrew Koenig is the lead sponsor of the anti-CRT law, you know, in this in this state. He also is um, basically, you know, uh, like I said, one of the recipients of ALEC, which is totally pro-corporate. <clears throat> I mean, ALEC is established by corporations for corporations, and these bills were the templates for these bills were actually written by Alec. And yeah, it's right there on their website, and I have the documentation. <clears throat> so Senator Koenig gets second place in the Jackass of the Week Award because on his own website for re-election, electandrewkoenig.com, one of the things he put on his literature, quote, candidate, I support an agenda that is against corporate handouts to billionaires and big business, end quote. Okay, I just choked laughing on that one. It was so ridiculous. I mean, I guess Senator Koenig figured nobody was going to actually check the documentation, even something as simple as his own website. So for that and for many other things, Missouri State Senator Andrew Koenig gets second place award, Jackass of the Week from PNN. Bray on, Senator Koenig. Bray on. All right. Like I said, it's been a week filled with jackassery. I mean, it was hard to keep track of things. Okay. Really was. And then, you know, it was. I was going to talk about this school board, but I'm going to save that for another another story. I would say, once again, first place for our Jackass of the Week Award is the new House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, who helped and ordered blocking, I'm sure, Representative Ilhan Omar from having a place on various committees. And he tried to paint a false equivalency between what happened to Marjorie Taylor Greene being excluded and uh, Paul Gosar and Ilhan Omar. And he tried to use anti-Semitism. Now, mind you, Marjorie Taylor Greene is not a Jew. She is an anti-Semite, in my opinion. 
Paul Gosar definitely is not only an anti-Semite, he's a freaking Nazi. You don't have to look very far beyond his tweets to see that. And it's my opinion, so is <clears throat> so is um, Speaker McCarthy. Now, as an actual Jew myself, did Congresswoman Ilhan Omar say make a few statements that were a bit anti-Semitic, like with the Benjamins? Well, yeah, she did. But this false equivalency is nonsense. That little statement there is nothing compared to Marjorie Taylor Greene using and constantly talking about the worst anti-Semitic tropes out there with the Jewish space lasers and Jewish bankers controlling everything. They've got Paul Gosar, who basically is a Nazi. And, you know, then you also have Donald Trump and with McCarthy's blessing. And they're all sitting down and welcoming a neo-Nazi like um, Nick Fuentes into the fold. So when when McCarthy allows all this to go on and paints his face, this false equivalency between Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, and Elon Omar, come on now. Elon Omar made a slightly ignorant comment, but not that big a deal. Okay, as an actual Jew myself, no, I don't consider what she, the remarks she made about it's all about the Benjamins to be that serious, frankly. But the accusations spurred on by Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, yes, so serious, so egregious that both of them actually should have been kicked out of office altogether. But McCarthy let it happen on his watch, and for them, so many other reasons. Speaker McCarthy wins the first place award. Jackass of the Week Award goes to Speaker Kevin McCarthy of California. Bring on, Kevin. Bring on, you stupid jackass. You never sounded so smart. Okay. I'm in a mood today, can you tell? I am. It's it's kind of a ridiculous mood, but whatever. When I hear all this jackassery going on, I, I can't help myself. I, I mean, you got to wonder how these people got through life. You got to wonder, you know, what they use for gray matter. Seriously. Um, and, you know, you mock it to defang them. But make no mistake about it, the Republican Party has descended into Nazism, and they are incredibly dangerous. And unfortunately, corporate Democrats are like the cowards of Vichy, which means that all of us, every single one of us that is a minority, whether it is communities of color, religious minorities, that means Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, agnostics, all of us the LGBTQIA plus community, I hope I got that right, um, the academic community, teachers and professors, the creative community of the arts, all of us, we have to stick together. We absolutely have to because, again, this is the type of thing that happened under Hitler, yes, could happen anywhere. And, again, borrowing from the Nobel Prize acceptance speech of Elie Wiesel in 1986. Keep in mind, Wiesel survived the Holocaust as a 14-year-old boy. He survived Auschwitz. You can read his book, Night. 14 years old. So I'm going to end this program with that very, very famous quote that Bucks County School District doesn't want posted. Quote, we must always take sides. Neutrality helps the oppressor never the victim.
Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. Sometimes we must interfere. When human lives are endangered, when human dignity is in jeopardy, national borders and sensitivities become irrelevant. Wherever men or women are persecuted because of their race, religion, or political views, that place must at that moment become the center of the universe, end quote. And with that, I will end this show. God bless us. We are going to need it. Um, next week, I'm hoping that we will have another show, another EJR, Environmental Justice Report. Um, this time, we will have a discussion with noted anti-nuclear activist, uh, Libby Halevi. Uh, and I look forward to that conversation. We had promised it before, and eh, we had a technical glitch. Keep in mind, this show is normally live. It was today. Um, glitches happen, all right? It's part of the fun. So with that, I say good night, and God bless us. <laughs>